Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Viola Spolin, the mother of improv. Let's hit it. Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans. And on tonight's episode, uh, we're going to step into the biography corner and we're going to be talking about Viola Spolin, who many would say is the mother of improv, almost kind of the founder of modern American improv as we know it. And uh, this episode by no means is going to be a thorough a uh, deep dive into her life and all its ins and outs, but uh, just a just a quick introduction to who she was, kind of where improv started, um, how it started in education, some of the books that she developed, some of some brief quotes on her philosophy in work, and then uh, just a few examples of my own experience with improv in education, which is something I have a background in. Um, so to start, uh, I, I did write and put together just sort of a brief biography about Viola Spolin, just to kind of learn about her background, um, her training, how she got started in all this, how she got involved. So let's take a look. So Viola Spolin, as I mentioned, uh, is often referred to as the mother of improv. She was a theater educator uh, with a vision, right? Spolin believed that learning should be a collaborative and immersive experience where students are active participants rather than passive recipients, right? I mean, so often in the classroom, uh, if you think back on your own experience, right, we just think of a teacher, you know, you're sitting there and they're lecturing all day, blah, blah, blah. You know, the earth is made of rocks and rocks, uh, blah, blah, are in a few layers. We have the sedimentary layer and the crust and blah, 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 right? So often we think of school as a place where students go, they sit, they absorb, 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 and we hope they retain it. Uh, we hope it all shows up on a test, right? But Viola thought there was more to it than that. So in her work, right, in the 1930s and 40s, uh, Spolin began working at what was called the Whole House in Chicago. And the Whole House was a place um, that existed to help immigrant children kind of adjust to life in America and in Chicago. So she was spending a lot of time working with those kids. And a lot of what she learned prior to this, uh, she was studying with a woman named Neva Boyd, um, who kind of taught Viola about the importance of like teaching group leadership and recreation and social group work, right? Kind of expanding the traditional methods of teaching and working with children. And that had a huge impact on Viola. So during her time there, right, working with these kids, she noticed that traditional teaching methods, as we mentioned earlier, right, students weren't engaging with them. They were struggling to express themselves. And she wanted to find a way to change this, right? Viola saw a problem. She saw an issue and said, these kids aren't learning, right? They're sitting here. We're talking to them all day. Maybe they're writing some stuff now. They're not engaging. They're not able to express themselves. They're not invested in this work. She saw this as a problem and she wanted to turn it around. So to address this, um, she started doing some dramatic work in her classes, right? Playing some theater games, getting kids up on their feet, having them come up with things on the spot, right? So she used theater games and exercises, and she created a space where children could explore their creativity and communication skills through play, right? Imagination work. 
we know how important it is that kids, especially young kids, are able to play, right? Use their imaginations, you know, get up on their feet, make things up on the fly, right? We, we know how important that is. We can all think of our own memories, hopefully, from childhood, you know, as a kid where you were running around somewhere, making things up with a friend, having an imaginary friend, right? All these different examples where you were playing as a kid. So Spolin had took what she learned and developed and you know, she kind of made her own method of education for working with these kids, right? She wanted to focus on individual creativity, adapting and focusing, and using the concept of play to unlock the individual's capacity for creative self-expression. When one is playing, whether that be a child or an adult, it's kind of the opportunity for you to open up and feed off your own experiences, what's in your mind, right? We see that in improv when you get on stage, when you're gray spacing, right? That's all coming from things that are already in your head, you just don't know how or when they'll come out. And that's what Viola was really trying to help these kids find, right? Build their confidence. Because we all know kids, right? Many kids, not all, but many, they get up on stage. They get up in front of others, in front of strangers. And it's a little scary, right? And imagine you're a kid who maybe just moved to the United States. Uh, you're in a strange country. Maybe the language, uh, your native language is in English, and you're forced to go up in front of these other kids and speak and talk, that could be scary at first, but over time, through practice, it, it builds your confidence. It gives you an opportunity to open yourself up if you feel safe. And that's what Viola wanted to do, right? She said she wanted to help children develop their creative confidence. Creative confidence, which I think is an incredible thing, right? Children need to be able to develop their creative confidence. That can translate to so many other areas later in life, right? Creativity isn't just improv. Creativity isn't just the arts. It can show up in so many other places in life. And I think Viola realized that and wanted to instill that into the children she was working with. That's right. Essentially, sum it up as this. Viola was working with kids, many of whom were immigrants from other countries, moving to America, to Chicago, learning how to adapt. And she worked with them using theater games and play and imagination work to help get them on their feet, get them in front of others, to help get them speaking, working together, building things. And over time, that grew their confidence, it grew their imagination, and allowed them to open up and express themselves a little bit. Obviously, this, this kind of took off. This was a big deal. People were noticing that Viola's work with these kids was having an impact, right? It was making a change in their lives. So this led to uh, Viola opening up uh, and working with a number of other organizations. She started working with child actors in Los Angeles. Uh, adults as well wanted to learn from her and study about these improvisational games. Uh, Viola, early on, had the idea to start taking audience suggestions and using those in their work which not only invests you know, the performers, but also the audience as well. She realized the importance of having people invested in the work that you're doing, right? Being active participants rather than passive listeners, which is a key thing there, a key thing there. And uh, eventually what all this led to, right? Viola's work, she was like, now I'm working with kids, I'm working with child actors, I'm working with adult actors. Uh, she opened her own school and was hired by a number of organizations around the Chicago area and in Los Angeles as well to teach, to study, and to grow their own programs. This led to Viola's son, a man named Paul Sills. He went on to found the second city in Chicago in the 1950s. And we all know that the second city is kind of the birthplace of comedic improv and uh, was the school that so many improvisers that we know now went through, right? We think of people like Steve Carell, so many SNL cast members. I don't know why I just said Steve Carell. Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Stephen Colbert, 
those are just a, a few examples of the many folks who have come through Second City, right? So Viola's work in education led to her son taking these improvisational ideas, these comedic and theater games, and turning them into a performance art, and then developing the Second City. But it all started with Viola. So obviously, it's a very brief summary, a very brief description of what Viola did, her work in Chicago. She worked with kids. She wanted to help them develop their creative confidence. She figured out that theater games were the best way to do that. Collaboration, play, these things were so important. If you're interested in learning more about Viola and her work uh, in Chicago and reading her own writings, there are kind of three books that I recommend that are really quite excellent. Uh, the first is Improvisation for the Theater. Uh, it's a book that Viola Spolin wrote that's been uh, kind of redone and edited a couple of times, I think most recently in 1994, uh, with her son contributing to some of the work as well, Paul Sills, uh, laying out her philosophy for the rules of improv and a number of games there, right? This is kind of the foundation of modern improv as we know it. The next book I would recommend is Theater Games for the Classroom, which is uh, an early book that Viola Spolin wrote, which is based off her work at The Whole House, right? Detailing just a ton of games in there, pages and pages of games, exercises, talking about the purpose of these games. It's really quite a beautiful book. Uh, this, this woman cared so much about kids and helping them adjust and grow into healthy, educated, you know, passionate, driven adults. And you can really see that in her work in this game, Theater Games for the Classroom. And uh, the last book that I would recommend that I've recommended before on this podcast is, of course, Improv Nation, which talks about the history of improvisation as an American art form. And of course, that all starts with Viola Spolin. So I want to talk about Viola's philosophy a little bit. So I have three quotes uh, from various books that she's written that I wanted to kind of throw out there, analyze, break down. So here's the first quote. Everyone can act. Everyone can improvise. Anyone who wishes to can play in the theater and learn to become stage-worthy. We learn through experience and experiencing, and no one teaches anyone anything. This is as true for the infant moving from kicking and crawling to walking as it is for the scientist with his equation. If the environment permits it, anyone can learn whatever he chooses to learn. And if the individual permits it, the environment will teach him everything it has to teach. Talent or lack of talent have little to do with it. And that comes from her book, Improvisation for the Theater. Wow. So Viola had this innate belief that essentially boiled down to it, given the right environment, anyone is able to learn and do anything, right? Given the right environment. And in her work, Viola realized the importance as an educator of establishing the kind of environment where kids could succeed at these things. It's so important in your work in education and even not in education, if you're a boss, a manager, or a leader, to develop an environment where those around you can work and have confidence, they feel safe, and to succeed, right? Here at IFTP, all of our teachers here, that's their goal each and every time you step into class is that they want to make sure the environment you're stepping into is one that is welcoming uh, and empowering to those that are in there because they know if given the right environment, you can do this, you can improvise, I love, love, love that quote, right? There is no talent or lack of it. It's all about the environment and your openness to doing the thing. Here's another quote uh, from Viola. The theater workshop can become a place where teachers and students meet as fellow players, involved with one another, 
ready to connect, to communicate, to experience, to respond, and to experiment and discover. So jumping into improvisational exercises, theater games, right? Whether you're in an IFTP class with a teacher or in an IFTP show, right? When you jump up and do an improv scene with that other person, no matter what your status is in life, economic, job, age, none of those things matter, right? You're stepping into the scene as equals. You are scene partners, 50-50. The scene lives and dies based off what the two of you contribute, what you give and take to one another, how you support one another, right? Getting up there is an equalizer, right? If your teacher in IFTP class jumps into a scene with you, right? You are at the same level. You are both improvisers at that point. No one person is above the other. In the scene, you may have status, but at its core, you're just both improvisers, right? And that's a very humbling and powerful experience, right? Think about a child who has the opportunity to do improv with an adult, right? Uh, with their teacher, right? A child and another child, right? What, whatever the combination of folks are who are getting up and doing improv, performing and playing these games, right? It equalizes them. It puts them on an even playing field. And that's not always true of things in life, but improv gives you that opportunity, right? These theater games gave you that opportunity, right? And in those moments, right, you're focusing on connecting, communicating, experimenting, responding, and discovering, right? You're doing those things together as a team or as a group, depending on the size of the scene, right? The playing field is even, you're all working together, and you're all equal in your responsibility, and roles within that scene. All right, one more quote from uh, Viola Spohn that I want to talk about. Play touches and stimulates vitality, awakening the whole person, mind, body, intelligence, and creativity, spontaneity, and intuition. So something that's come up uh, a number of times on this podcast that I fundamentally believe, like to my core, and I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for Viola, but based off this quote and what I know of her work and what I've read of her work, the idea of play is such an important and invaluable thing. As kids, play is such a big part of your life, whether that's literally playing on a playground or going through your imagination, coming up with scenarios, right? Playing with one another, collaborating and building things together. That sense of play that you have, as we grow older, by the way the world is, just kind of fades away. You don't have the opportunity to play anymore. You lose that sense of wonder, exploration, the feeling that the possibilities are infinite and endless. That disappears. That goes away. But through improv, through these exercises, through theater, right, getting up on stage with nothing but your mind and a scene partner, can almost harken back to that sense of play you once had as a kid, right? This imagination, diving into worlds and creating characters that never existed, will only exist in that moment and never exist again, right? That sense of play as adults is so important. It, I mean, it keeps you young. It, it, it keeps your mind working. It keeps your sanity. I believe that play is so important, and I know that those of us who are here, right, students of IFTP, realize that, right? We, we come every week because we're going, gosh, I, I wish I could play. I wish I had the opportunity to get up, play, collaborate, and work with others. And that's something you can do here at IFTP. 
That's something you can do through improv, right? I think Viola was spot on with that one. Okay, so why is all of this so important to me in particular, right? Knowing that improv's roots were within education, working with kids, helping kids kind of open up, come out of their shell and build their creative confidence. Well, uh, as many of you know, uh, who have listened to this podcast, and for many of you who don't know, um, a big part of my career thus far in my life was spent working in education. I worked in a, uh, at the same middle school for five years in various roles, both in the after-school program and as a classroom teacher. And part of my work, especially in my early days when I started, is um, kind of figuring out how to implement improvisation within the classroom. Right? Improv is something that I've been interested in for a long time, going back to when I was in high school, college, and after that. Um, so in my work in education, one of the first things I tried to do, with some failing and with some mistakes, is that uh, I started an improv class for my after-school students. And being that this was my first time working with kids, kind of at this level, like I'd worked with kids in the past, but in different capacities. My first time as a quote-unquote, lead teacher in a classroom with kids. I struggled a lot, but my students were incredibly patient, and we were able to figure out and kind of do improv together. You know, these kids were, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders um, who many had not experienced improv before. Some had done some theater performances here and there, or music or dance, but improv was new to them, and I think is often new to kids, especially at this age range. And we would just do fun exercises, right? We'd play a lot of short-form games. But during that time, I mean, one, as I was learning how to be an educator and classroom management and building relationships with my students, I saw a lot of what Viola talked about, right? Um, Day after day, we'd come in, we'd play these different games, right? We'd play a hitchhiker, right? Where someone's driving a taxi and different passengers keep getting in and out and they have different stories, right? We'd play a game where my students were on a park bench. One of them would just be themselves and random strangers would come sit on the other seat of the park bench and they'd have conversations. Um, We'd play the ABC game, which was often a lot of fun, but very challenging. And through all of this, I saw so many funny scenes and scenarios that my students came up with. Ah, Kids' sense of humor is, is almost unmatched, especially middle schoolers. Man, they are sharp. But I saw a lot of what Viola talked about in her work, right? Kids slowly opening up and becoming more confident. I had some students who were shy and quiet and, and nervous, you know, at first, because I was asking them, I was like, hey, you're going to get up in front of your peers and you're just going to make stuff up off the top of your head. It, it, it took us a lot of time to kind of break through that initial fear and self-consciousness that so many kids have, especially at that age. Gosh, in middle school, it's such a tough time to, you're so aware of yourself. Um, but through our work, you know, we were able eventually to work through that. And by no means am I, or was I a, a great improv teacher? I was stumbling every day to figure out how to adapt all of this uh, to kids. And, you know, we had our struggles, but there we had, great moments too. And throughout my education career, I didn't always have an opportunity to teach improv, but in my mind, I always knew that there were principles of improv and rules of improv that I wanted to remain true within my classroom. Whether that was a lesson I was planning where I wanted kids to have the opportunity to uh, solve problems. Uh, One of the classes I taught later in my career was computer science. And computer science is often about using 
computers, right? Using the capabilities of a computer to solve a problem, which is what we did. At the beginning of every school year, I would love to do an exercise where I would have kids come up with problems. They'd write them down on pieces of paper. And I'd say, okay, write down a, a problem that you face in your life. It could be a really silly one, like, oh, my shoes are too big, or, you know, or it could be a more serious one. And what I would have my kids do, right, we'd throw all these random problems into a bag. And then we'd pass that bag around the room, and each table, which would typically be a group of four kids, would pull out one of these problems, and they'd have to come up with an invention or a solution to help solve that problem. And it could be the most absurd thing in the world, right? Some of the problems were very silly, like, oh, I... I'm afraid of germs. I don't want to get sick. Uh, that was, you know, one of the problems. And they'd come up with a, a bubble that you could be in all day to keep you safe from the world, right? And I would have my kids come up with almost a commercial solution for this problem, right? They'd develop a product. Uh, they'd give it a price. They'd give it a name and a slogan. And I loved this project because for me, it was kind of taking those improv principles of collaboration, yes anding, right? You're given information, you add on to it and you collaborate with your team, your group, your table to come up with a solution. And so during my time in education, I was fortunate to, to see the power of improv, the power of these principles of giving kids an opportunity to get up, right, to collaborate with one another, to use their imagination, to use their creativity uh, in so many different ways, whether that was through me teaching them improv directly and, and working with them and them taking it and running with it, or finding ways to apply improv principles to other subject areas. The work was very special to me. And again, I'll say I, I, I am by no means the level of educator that Viola Spolin was, but I did try to take inspiration from her work because reading her books and realizing the, the impact these things could have, I wanted to, to try and do the same thing in my classroom as well. So all in all, uh, Viola Spolin, um, and I can't help but, you know, uh, be thankful for her, for the work that she did all those years ago, and to help develop improv into what it is today. But I want you to think about, in your life, think about improv and think about its roots, uh, going back to kids, going back to children, helping them develop their creative confidence. And something I try and think about now is how can I take principles of improv and apply them to other areas in my life? Although I don't work directly in the classroom anymore, I'm still in a field that indirectly impacts what happens in the classroom. So there's still principles I try and apply with my coworkers and to problem solving that I do every day. And I encourage you to do the same. Maybe take a look into some of Viola Spolin's work. How can it apply to your own life? Maybe you work in the classroom. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you want to help your kids develop their creative confidence. And improv both directly and indirectly, can be something that can help with that. Um, yeah, so that is a brief summary of the life of Viola Spolin. A few beautiful quotes from her, some recommendations on books, and of course, uh, my own experience implementing improv and education. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode, uh, just talking about the life brief, brief, brief summary of Viola Spolin's work. There's so much more to it, so much more nuance and depth that I encourage you to look into. Research, learn about her. I am not a historian, so I did not think it was my place to do an info expo, uh, an in-depth expose on her life. Just a brief summary to get you, to get you interested. And then you take it from there. You learn and research in your own way. 
with that said, as always, we'll be back next week with another episode of Improv for the Podcast. Uh, we've got a couple exciting interviews coming up in the near future that I can't wait for you to hear. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find our podcast on any platform that has podcasts. We'll be there, including YouTube, so you can see my face and uh, our lovely guest faces. Um, but this episode is done. But as always, we'll be back next week with another one. Thank you for listening. Improv for the podcast was created by Matt Moore and Michael Lee Evans. Edited and produced by Michael Lee Evans. And finally, presented by Improv for the People. Interested in more IFTP? You can visit us at improvforthepeople.com or on our socials, such as Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, new episodes are released weekly. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.